Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and analyst for MLB.com, joined again by Matt Myers, MLB.com National Content Editor. We have a pretty fun guest with us that'll come up later in the show. Rajay Davis, a 14-year veteran of Major League Baseball, responsible for a couple of the most famous home runs in baseball history, and has now joined Major League Baseball as a Senior Director of On-Field Operations. So we're going to ask him about that. But first, we're going to get into some moves. Uh, there was a weird trade last night. I think weird is the best way to put it. We'll get into some stuff we missed, like, hey, Trevor Bauer and Marcelo Zuna signed, and talk about projections because it is projection season. But first, there was a trade last night that I've spent a lot of time trying to wrap my head around, and I'm not sure I quite fully understand it yet. A three-team deal. The Royals are going to get Red Sox outfielder Andrew Benatendi. The Red Sox are going to get Franchi Cordero, who we love, we always love, and a couple of players to be named later, as well as a minor league pitcher. And the Mets are going to get minor league outfielder Khalil Lee. And I think the best way for me to think about this trade is, thanks, I hate it. (laughs) I kind of hate it for everybody, except for the Mets, who are clearly the third wheel here. I like it the best for the Mets. We need to kind of break this down a little bit, Matt. But what? where do you start here? This is such a weird deal all around. I mean, there, there's been rumors of, of Benintendi getting traded for a few weeks now. Um, I guess it's I'm, – I'm not entirely sure why. Um, we talked about it on the podcast recently. I've never really been a huge fan of him. He's fine, but like he was really good in 2018, but has been pretty okay otherwise. He doesn't really hit for power. His, he's like, he used to actually be like a pretty good stolen base threat that really has disappeared. So he's just like kind of a guy. So, um, I don't really know if he really moves the needle. I think in name recognition, he moves the needle for Kansas City, but like on the field, um, I'm not really sure what the Royals get out of this. For the, the Red Sox, I guess it's a little bit of a payroll savings because Ben and Tammy makes much. a bit more. How much? I mean, I mean what, what does Franchi make? Fran- Franchi's making like 800. And they're going to pay off about a third of Ben Attendee's 6.6. So they're going to save like $2 million. And they're actually kind of close to the the you know luxury tax level. So maybe it's that. But let's talk about the Red Sox for a second. Um, so this trade happened last night, Wednesday night. And I think the immediate reaction to every for everybody was, wow. Remember when they had that cool, young World Series winning outfield of Mookie Betts and Jackie Bradley and Andrew Ben Attendee, And now they don't. <laughs> I mean, Bradley might come back, you know, fine. I'm thinking about this from the the point of view of a Red Sox fan, and as much as I do like Franchi Cordero, and we'll get to him in a minute, I don't know how you can be anything other than just disappointed in the way this has all gone down. You know, you still have Bogarts, you still have Devers, you'll get Chris Sale back, right? But um, 
I think I wrote like three years ago, you know, maybe this will be the best outfield of all time. And it pretty clearly didn't do that. But when I think about the, you know, negative feedback around this trade, I think it's partially that. And I think it's partially that people just disagree with you and and me as well um, about what kind of player Ben Attendee is, because this can't just be a salary dump, not if you're saving two million bucks, right? I kind of think it's just that Heim Bloom doesn't think he's that good and he's happy to get five players of we don't really know who they are yet, but rather than, you know, kind of let Ben Attendee wither for another year. Does that sound right to you? That's right. And I mean, that's the thing to remember, right, is that Heim Bloom came in um, last year. And so like he doesn't this is this you see this a lot with 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 front offices where like a new GM or president of baseball operations comes in. And if they have no personal attachment to the players, like he didn't. He did not draft Benintendi. He was a you know a top ten draft pick. Didn't develop. Wasn't there in 2018 when they won the World Series. So like whatever of like sort of like these warm feelings that a lot of like Red Sox fans have for Benintendi as like you know hyped prospect who was very good on a World Series winning team. Like Bloom doesn't see that. He sort of sees like a guy who's was terrible last year, but he was hurt. But even still, a short season. But even the year before that wasn't really hitting for any power. And as I mentioned, like the speed part of his game seemed to disappear. And it's like, okay, well, this guy's just okay. And like, we could do better as we try and like rebuild this team and in, in whatever vision that, that, that Bloom has. Yeah. He's always been the kind of guy who maybe is more than the sum of his parts, right? Like none of the metrics like him. He's always been below average and hard hit rate. The defensive metrics don't think he's any good. And the sprint speed, you know, you just mentioned, so I, I looked this up in terms of percentiles, right? So if you're in the 100th percentile, you're basically Byron Buxton, you're phenomenal. And the first percentile is, you know, Yadi Molina, very slow. And over the last couple of years, Ben Attendee has gone from 89th, which is great, to 80th, to 68th, to 54th, to 43rd. And again, he barely played last year. So if you want to toss that out, that's fine. But it's a weird trend. And when I think about the Royals, I kind of think that maybe we just differ a lot on how good they are. I will say this has been a good offseason for the Royals. Like, I like a lot of the moves they made. You know, they got Mike Miner, which I, I like that. They signed Carlos Santana, who I liked. You know, Michael Taylor is a pretty good defensive outfielder. Um, they've made some solid moves. I still think they are clearly well behind the White Sox and the Twins, maybe also the Indians. So in the sense of, like, did they improve for 2021? Yes. Is it going to put them in the playoffs? Probably not. Like, I guess it's... Are you betting on the relative likelihood that Ben Attendee is a league average player or the, I don't know, 10% likelihood that Cordero figures it out and completely explodes? Yeah. And that's, I mean, we've, we've longtime listeners of this podcast are well familiar Go with Mike's, on. <laughs> Mike's affinity for Franchi Cordero, um, who beyond just like the cool name hits just absolutely huge home runs when he plays, but his big league experience is pretty is pretty minimal. But he first broke in like four years ago and has shown like glimpses at times of being just like a huge power hitter, but never um never really put together for a full season. He came up at the end of twenty seventeen and in twenty eighteen he hit this ball. I think if it was either the longest home run of that year or top three or whatever, four hundred and eighty nine feet in Arizona to like beyond the top of dead center field. It was an absolute rocket. Um, here's the problems he's had. He has failed to stay healthy. Uh, he had, I think he had Tommy John surgery at one point. He injured his handmade bone last year. So even though he's been up for four years, he has only collected 315 plate appearances, which kind of um, surprisingly, he's only three months age difference from Ben Attendee. I know they seem like they're wildly apart. They're basically the same age. And his big issue aside from health has been making contact. He has a career 
35% strikeout rate. That is more than one out of every three times. That's really hard to do unless you're, you know, Joey Gallo. Um, the thing that was interesting last year, if you look at his line, you'd say this is not very good. 211, 286, 447, right? That's a below average line. Again, everything I'm about to say here is in 42 plate appearances, so you can pretty much just ignore this part in Tyler if you want. 42 plate appearances. And even so, a 9% strikeout rate in 42 plate appearances. I'm not saying this is a new skill. I'm not saying this is repeatable. I'm saying, huh, that's a really interesting thing that happened. And yet he was still below average, but he crushed the ball like he always does. When he makes contact, it's basically Bryce Harper. And he was, in a lot of ways, the least fortunate player in terms of batted ball luck last year. Again, there's like an 80% chance he never stays healthy enough, never makes enough contact to do anything. But if I'm thinking about which one of these guys is more likely to be a superstar in five years, the answer is neither. But I'm taking Franchi. This is super my bias. As you've mentioned, I've loved Franchi for years. I'm pretty low on Ben Attendee. Um, we shouldn't ignore the Mets, I guess. <laughs> I, want, I want to make I want to make a Franchi Cordero point because I went to his, his Wikipedia page to look up a couple things about him, and I've discovered that um, you were actually referenced and you were one of the site your your story from 2018. The most interesting rookie you need to know more about is cited on his Wikipedia page. So, Mike, you are officially connected to oh, Franchi Cordero. Cool. Did you did you know that? Um, do you know what his nickname is in the Dominican? Because he like had a huge a couple years ago. Um, David Venn, who's one of our editors on um, our Spanish site, told me this. Do you know what his nickname in the Dominican? He won MVP and Rookie of the Year in the Winter League, like 2017, 2018. Do you know what his nickname is in the Dominican? Um, I don't. I know that one of those years he like he led the entire sport of professional baseball in triples with like 18 or something. But no, I don't know what his nickname is. El Maton, the Hitman. Oh, cool. okay. <laughs> well, that's funny because like if you think about the five tools, his hit tool is clearly the weakest. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's anyway. Anyway, um, the Mets. Yeah, the Mets. <laughs> I don't like really know. I, I don't really know. Yeah, I don't really get. Honestly, like I'm still not really sure why they're involved. But like, it seems like they did okay because um, the prospect they got in the in the deal is interesting, and it doesn't seem like they gave they gave up one of the prospects they got for Stephen Matz, a guy they almost non tendered. So it right. seems like a pretty good deal for them. Yeah. So they they took Josh Winkowski who, as you said, had been a Blue Jays prospect they'd acquired in the Stephen Matz deal uh, a few weeks back. And he had been inserted by MLB Pipeline into the Mets farm system as number 26. So, you know, he's, he's a useful guy, but he's certainly not highly regarded. And they traded him for Khalil Lee, who um, already has a full season of AA experience. The Mets, as you might know, have very little upper level prospect depth in the outfield. There's certainly no reason for that that any Mets fan should think about. Definitely not a reason they're missing a particular high-level prospect outfielder. Um, one of their high picks from from last year was Pete Crow Armstrong, who I like a lot, but hasn't actually played a game yet, I don't think so, in the in professional baseball, so he's pretty low-level. And Lee, you know, is kind of another high-upside, low-floor sort of guy. Like, he stole 53 bases in 2019. He's considered to be a pretty good outfielder. He's good at drawing walks like so many other guys. Will he make enough contact? I don't know. But the point is, like, what are the Mets doing here? Well, they traded a guy, as you said, they got for a guy they were going to non-tender, and they got an interesting lottery ticket, which is like one of those edge moves that you kind of think of like Andrew Friedman teams doing. Are the Mets that team now? This is I kind of love it for them. It, it's just it's just sort of strange. It's like what it's almost like you look at the trade and it's like, why did the Royals and Red Sox really need to include them anyway. That's sort of what I don't get, but good for the Mets for getting involved because it seems like they got an interesting guy who you know stole 53 bases his last season in the minors and seems to put up good OBPs, although he strikes out a lot. Um, so good for them, I guess. 
Uh, I guess so. Let's uh, move on to our three batter minimum. It seems like it's been about 10 years ago now, but not long after we recorded our show last week, there were a couple of big moves. The Dodgers signed Trevor Bauer and the Braves signed Marcelo Zuna. The Dodgers, from our point of view, in about two and a half hours, are going to have a press conference. They have not said what that press conference is about. I suppose there's like a 1% chance that it's Justin Turner's coming back and a one half of a percent chance that, I don't know, Yasiel Puig is going to be the manager next year or something. But it's like overwhelmingly the case that Trevor Bauer uh, passed his physical and this is going to be signed and announced. Um, The Bauer one was interesting. Like the whole like how he signed with the Mets, except he didn't, except now his like official team store is like posting Mets signed hats was like a whole thing that day, which he claimed was um, unintentional and an accident and, and fine, whatever. Now the Dodgers have an unbelievable rotation. So Walker Bueller, Clayton Kershaw, Trevor Bauer, uh, Dustin May, Tony Gonsolin. I feel like I'm for oh, Julio Urias, right? Like there's so many guys. I feel like I'm forgetting someone. They have an overflowing wealth of pitching. And I don't want to say they didn't need him because he did just win the Cy Young last year. Um, but man, <laughs> that's a lot of pitching right there. <laughs> well, I mean, to me, that's the thing. When I look at the rotation, it's like, it's not necessarily the, the top five. Cause like, I think there are questions about, you know, Urias putting up a full season and how good David Price is at this Price, point. That's Even, who I forgot. David Price. David Price as your your four five. That said, what makes their their pitching so impressive is that it's like then even be yes, even if you don't aren't really like a believer in Urias and Price, they have Gonsolin, they've got Dustin May. So it's like it goes it goes far beyond just like the five names. That's to me, that's sort of like what makes it makes it um so impressive. And I do think like, you know, think about Bauer, and I talked about this on a recent podcast, is I think that like in the current pitching climate, it's what as it is, we're, we don't really see – even in normal times, we don't see pitchers go deep in the games. And this year, coming off a shortened season where pitchers barely pitched last year, having any pitcher who can reliably pitch deep into games is really rare and I think it's kind of undervalued. And I think that even if he's not – like he's not a 170 ERA pitcher, right? I don't think he's a 3.9 ERA pitcher, which I think is career line. I think he's like, you know, probably low threes. But like – in the current world where low threes regularly six plus innings, like there are like three guys that do that, you know, like literally it's like DeGrom, Cole, and maybe Bat. You know, it's like, there's just not a lot of guys that do that. So I think that that's kind of what makes him, you know, a lot of people are like, Oh, he's not as, he's not as good as this Cy young year. It's like, I don't think anyone's saying that. I just do think that he has a skill set that is, that is unique. I also think in some sense, this is maybe a hedge for next year. There was a really interesting article written by Jorge Castillo in the LA Times where he uh, talked to Clayton Kershaw and talked to him about his future and the weight that was lifted after winning the World Series and the fact that his kids are getting older. You know, I think his kids, he's got three of them, but they're similarly aged to my two. And he's like, okay, I live like half an hour from the Texas Rangers ballpark. That could be interesting. Um, Kershaw is in his final year of his contract. Could he retire at the end of the year? Could he go play for the Rangers? Maybe. So in that sense, having Bauer around for next year, I think is is kind of a, a hedge that makes sense. The other thing that stood out to me was the Dodgers have been trying to make this kind of deal for a while. They don't really want to go and give out, you know, eight years for 300 million or whatever Garrett Cole got. Like they offered Bryce Harper a version of this deal, you know, high, high annual value for limited years. And they didn't take it. And Bauer seemed like exactly the kind of guy who would take it and and did take it. So, you know, good good for him for getting his money. I guess this is a um, a lot of emphasis on what he showed in 11 starts, because I can tell you a year ago when he was coming off a pretty bad run with the Reds, he would have not 
gotten this deal. And, um, you know, it's it's a, a weird situation where the Dodgers just won the World Series. They signed the defending Cy Young. And a lot of fans aren't happy about it just because of the way he acts on social media. Hopefully he uses that platform more responsibly. Um, but I, I was surprised to see it happen this way. I really did think he was going to go to the Mets. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there was even a report, I think I want to say it was Joel Sherman who basically said, who reported that like Sandy Alderson had told people privately, I don't know like exactly how it was phrased, but like he'd never gotten this far along in a negotiation without closing the deal. So I do think that there were, you know, it made it sound like there were people high up in the Mets organization who were pretty confident that they were going to sign sign Bauer. It's, it's a unique deal in that he has opt, it's a three-year deal, which has opt-outs after the first two years. Um, of course, the salary is by far the highest in year two, $45 million. So it's hard to imagine he's going to opt out after year one. Um, yeah. But, but he will year, opt out after year two. He almost certainly, unless he's injured, he's almost yeah. certainly going to opt out after after year two because right now he's set up to make only seventeen million in the third year um, of the deal. I mean, it is interesting in the context of the Dodgers, right? Because um, they do have a lot of young stars who are not locked up, and so not that they can't afford it. It's just like so. What are the dynamics of how they're going to prioritize those guys, right? It's like you've got Bellinger who's now in arbitration um, and starting to, you know. You know his salary is going way up. Seager is going to be a free agent after this year. Like, how do you prioritize him? So it's there are some like interesting decisions they're going to have to make because they've already locked up Mookie Betts, so they're they're set there. But um, how they manage their their payroll over the next few years relative to Bauer and some of these these young guys who are about to start seeing big jumps in their salary, I guess it'll also de- de- depend on on the next collective bargaining agreement. So maybe it uh, that'll that'll make things a little more clear next year. I can't even count on what's going to happen next week, much less next year. The other big move, Marcelo Zuna returns to the Braves. Four years and $64 million. Um, I think I may have made this joke last week too, but there's been more action over the last 10 days than there were in the previous four months. And I don't know if this is the new normal, but I imagine with camps opening next week, we're going to see a lot more moves coming up. So Ozuna returns to the Braves. It seems pretty clear that everyone was waiting to see if there was going to be a DH, and it seems like there's not. So they will just suck it up and have him in the outfield where he's not great. I think the happiest man might be Ender Inciarte because he has he has reason to exist now in the sense that whenever the Braves have a lead, he will be in there playing left field, which could be a lot of playing times because uh, I think the Braves are going to be pretty good. Ozuna is sort of like Bauer in the sense that I absolutely don't think he's going to be as good as he was last year because... He was essentially the best slugger in baseball, um, but he's pretty good. And I'm, I'm buying a lot of the improvement. He's one of the best sluggers. And, you know, the the Braves outfield had one reliable outfielder. They had Acuna Jr., who's phenomenal. They have Inciarte, who doesn't hit anymore. Christian Pache, who needs to prove he can hit. And now they have Ozuna. And we'll get to the Braves and their projections in a second. But just in terms of this deal, this was like a perfect fit of team in need, I think. Yeah, and also even even you know, granted again, sixty game season, but Ozuna started twenty game, a third of their games in the outfield last year, so like he's not very good. Specifically, his his throwing arm is terrible, but you know that's not a huge part of like the game today. And he's passable, um, and I, it, it also almost certainly everyone has sort of assumed that in the next collective bargaining agreement there will be a DH, so they're sort of like okay, even if there's not a DH in twenty twenty one, we'll make it work because then we can easily slide him into that spot for the rest of the deal speaking of the braves item two here's why the projections hate you and your team <laughs> it is projection season so that means zips and steamer and pakoda and a couple other ones and the team that i think stood out to everybody was atlanta uh, baseball prospectus has them 82 and 80 in fourth place Fangraphs 89 and 73 in second place this is a team that has won the last three 
NL East titles. And as you can imagine, Braves fans are very displeased. I think we actually talked about this a little like six weeks ago, kind of like looking ahead and say, oh, yeah, uh, they don't like the Braves so much. I, I wonder why that is. And I think it's a couple of things. One is maybe a misunderstanding of how projections work. Nobody cares that they won three straight division titles. If you look at the 2018 National League East division title Braves, um, they gave 141 starts to the, these six guys. Mike Fultonevich, Julio Teheran, Sean Newcomb, Anibal Sanchez, Brandon McCarthy, and Kevin Gosman. Guess how many of those guys are on the 2021 Braves? The answer is zero, right? Nick Markakis got 705 plate appearances. The point is, you project the guys that are here, not what happened three years ago. And now the Mets have Francisco Lindor, and now they've got Carlos Carrasco and Marcus Stroman and everything. So I think that's a, a big part of it. I also think, as we just kind of mentioned with Ozuna and Bauer, no good projection system just has you repeating the same year. Like Freddie Freeman was amazing last year. That was like 4% of his career plate appearances where he'd never done that before. You know, like I, I wrote a whole thing on the site. You can go take a look at it. I will say this, though. I think they are low on the Braves. Like if I was doing a Mike cast, Braves and Mets tied around 91, Phillies and Nationals tied around 84, and Marlins in the rear. And, and, and you pointed this out in your Braves piece that projections have like consistently for a few years been low on the Braves. And they've actually pretty consistently been high on the Mets. It's hard to know why that is, as you say, because like the rosters change so much. I'm with you. When I look at the Braves, to me, the biggest thing that sort of – I just think they're starting pitching from like a, a projection standpoint is really volatile. You know, when you look at it on paper and you're like, okay, this is a really good rotation. Like Max Fried is a great young starter. Ian Anderson looked amazing down the stretch. Oh, they added Charlie Morton. That's great. Well, like there's like – I mean, Ian Anderson's pitched like – you know, he's had like 10 major league starts. Like, yes, I know he looked great in the postseason – but it's hard to just assume like, oh, this is who he is, you know? Um, Mike Soroka, obviously they have as well, but he's coming off an Achilles injury. So you have to, like, there's a lot of uncertainty there. Charlie Morton is what, 38? Um, and coming so off the shoulder injury. And Soroka just like, doesn't miss bats. That's the whole thing. I never bought into him being great in the first place. Yeah. And so there's, I just think the error bars on their, on their uh, rotation are pretty wide. I believe in those, actually specifically Ian Anderson, I believe in, I think also Kyle Wright was good in the postseason, but he's, he's, his actual secondary numbers are pretty poor, so I don't really believe in him. But like, I believe in in Anderson. I believe in Freed. I think Morton will be pretty good. So I, I'm with Mike. I think it's like on paper, I'd say them them and the Mets are, are neck and neck. Um, and if you want to give like an intangible soft factor, then I'd probably pick the Braves. But um, I don't think the the Braves. The, there are reasons to be. I don't know if skeptical is the right word, but like to be you know, have temper your expectations about the Braves, I think. The, the Freed example is really interesting. So I, I talked to Craig Goldstein, who's the editor-in-chief of Baseball Prospectus, who does the Pakoda projections, and I hadn't thought about it this way until he wrote about it. So Max Freed had a 225 ERA this past year. It was really good. You know, he got Cy Young votes. And his projection for the upcoming year is 399. And you think to yourself, well, why? why? Why would they think he got so much worse? Well, what he noted was that it, forget projections for a second. In 2019, Freed had a 402 ERA, and that dropped from 402 to 225. So you'd think, wow, that guy got a lot better. How did he do that as his strikeout rate got worse and his walk rate got worse and his home run rate got worse? <laughs> like that's, that's, I don't know, like a small sample size season thing, I guess, like the vagaries of ERA, but that's a hard thing to do once, much less sustain on happening again. So it's like, it's all sorts of stuff like that. But again, were I picking the division today, I'd probably say Mets won and Braves like, ever so slightly too. And I feel like you're kind of on the same page with that. Yeah. And were there any other, you know, the Braves were obviously the one that people are talking about. Any other projections that like really um, jumped out to you? Well, I think um, I heard a lot of people complaining about the NL Central. 
<laughs> specifically the Cardinals. I think you get a lot of, you know, who won the winter recency bias here. I think people are like, well, we've been dumping on the NL Central for months and the Cardinals went out and got Nolan Arenado and re-signed Yadi Molina and Adam Wainwright. Clearly they're the best team and they might be the best team. But I also don't think they were, that the 2020 Cardinals were one Arenado away, uh, especially with them losing, you know, um, with them losing Wong, who signed with Milwaukee. I might pick Milwaukee. I'm not actually sure about that one yet. Well, I, if you, <laughs> my favorite thing is actually the NL Central on the uh, the Fangraphs projections because <laughs> they have every team in the NL Central below 500. <laughs> yes. So for each team, if you go to Fangraphs, every team, they will tell you uh, the percentage odds of winning the World Series. And I don't have it up in front of me, but I think it's like, you know, the Yankees are 18%. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Yankees are 18%. And yeah, the Dodgers are about the same. And the Padres are 12%. You know, you go down the line and eventually you get to 0%. Um, or if you're the Diamondbacks, 0.1%, which I like very much. The NL Central, the entire NL Central, all five teams in the NL Central combined have a 3.9% chance of winning the World Series. And I'm not sure I would disagree with that. So let's actually move on to our third item, which is very similar to this one. Will we have tight division races? And how would you even measure that? So I think if you look around the league, you know, the the divisions all have different fields, right? Like the Central, the NL Central is an absolute mess. No one's that good, but you could see any of four teams winning. You know, the NL West, you've got two really good teams and that's that's about it. The NL East, you could argue for three and a half or so of those teams and on and on. And that struck me because I remember a couple of years ago in 2017, and this also ended up happening in 2018, where it was really, really easy to project what was going to happen. There was going to be no drama whatsoever. And I went back and I found a whole bunch of preseason prediction articles from our site, Fangraphs, Prospectus, ESPN, CBS, Yahoo, everywhere. Every single projection by computers and people all said it was going to be Red Sox, Indians, and Astros in the AL, Nationals, Cubs, and Dodgers in the NL. And that is exactly what happened. Uh, and the next year was kind of about the same thing. And I went and I looked this this year. And uh, for this, I used what was on Fangraphs. And five of the six divisions right now, so only the AL East, only the Yankees with a sizable projected lead, five of the divisions have between the top two teams a winning percentage gap of 0.030. So basically like, you know, no more than four games. Um, we haven't had that since 2016. In 2017 and 2018, one division was considered close, and that ended up being pretty right. And now, for the first time in a couple of years, five divisions are pretty close. And I think that's exciting. Like, it's cool. You still have these super teams, but now you've got, like, you know, the Padres are saying, well, we're not going to wait for the Dodgers to be bad. That's not going to happen. You know, the the White Sox are finally coming back and going for it. Um, you know, in the Central, it's not a great race, but it could be a close race. I, I think this is going to be interesting. Well, I mean, and, and to be fair, you know, I, I mentioned the, the, the Fangrass projections before in the NL Central. Um, Baseball Perspectives Pakoda has the Brewers 89 wins. So, you know, yeah. it's there 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 are some big there's some big differences there and I think it's also a good a good reminder that like again, progress, pro- projections are not destiny and there are huge error bars on them. Um but they're fun cuz they they're, they're if nothing else they're a good starting point cuz they also give you like they're like a sanity check cuz it's I like when I see teams like the, when I see like Pakoda and the Braves I'm like, "Okay, it makes me want to look under the hood. Like, why are they? It's more interesting when you see something you don't expect because it's like, okay, now I want to look into this team. What is it about it that like makes them be skeptical? And you, you and then you can decide. For, like, you can look into it and try and figure that out, and then you could decide for yourself why you think that's off. Like, you know, like Pakota says, like has the Astros at eight, 93 wins, and like I'm skeptical of that. You know, so it's um, it uh, it goes both ways. 
We are going to take a quick break and we will be back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with Rajay Davis, the newly hired MLB Senior Director of On-Field Operations. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petriello, Matt Myers, and we are really pleased to be joined by a new colleague of ours, Rajay Davis, 14-year Major League Baseball veteran and a newly hired senior director of on-field operations, part of a few new hires that were announced in the last couple of weeks, Bo Porter and Michael Hill. And uh, Rajay, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. What is a senior director of on-field <laughs> operations? I know that's a big question. You, you've already started the job uh, remotely from your home in Connecticut. Um, just kind of big picture, what what is your responsibility here? Uh, basically everything on-field. Um, so there's um, dealing with the um, umpires, dealing with rule changes, um, dealing with um, you know you know uh, implementing new rules. Um, and, and also um, dealing with development, youth development, um, dealing with uh, minority um, inclusion and, and all those kinds of things as well. And, you know, obviously th- those will be more defined as I continue in my role. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm just starting um, a couple of weeks in now and, you know, just kind of learning um, uh, the I guess the jargon the jargon of of you know what's what's what how we communicate with the umpires how we communicate with the uh, managers and and you know how we can really make the game better. Now, when did you your playing career officially end, and how did you get connected with this opportunity? So officially end when I was hired <laughs> with the MLB <laughs> Commissioner's Office um, last year, twenty twenty. I played. For a month down in Mexico, I was uh, scheduled and signed to play um, in in Manclova de um, Acereros. So it was a, a town which is about uh, two hours south of Monterrey, Mexico, which is right below Texas. So it was about three three hours from Texas, and we actually had a, a manager at the time, um, uh, originally a first round draft pick um but uh, he he actually lived in texas and would would commute on off days to 
to his home. But it was uh, it was a nice experience. It was an experience that I actually, um, you know, at the very beginning of my major league career, I went down to Mexico and played there, um, you know, for for a month in in winter league ball. So returning, um, you know, uh, at the end of my career, it's kind of, uh, you know, ironic to say the least. You obviously must have made a, a ton of friends and teammates over the years. Are you already getting like text messages giving you a hard time for going over to the other side and working for the man now? I got actually a lot of congratulations. Um, just understanding, um, you know, this, I think this is a great opportunity, you know, just getting to, getting to see it from this side of uh, of the business and, and, and seeing how um, I, I, I kind of wish, you know, I would have, I would have known some of these things when I was playing. I think I would have, I think it would have made me a better player, <laughs> you know, just knowing some of these things. Um, but uh, it's, it's, it's a great opportunity to really um, um, bring some awareness to areas that may not have uh, get a voice, you know, being, uh, you know, having spent the last 20 years playing professionally and the last, you know, 14, you know, at the major league level, I have an on-field, right, uh, on-field experience that um, that's going to that I'm that I'm, that I'm able to share, you know, with uh, you know, um, in a different perspective, in a different light of what's happening. You mentioned a couple of things that if you had known when you were playing, it might have made you better. Like, what what are you referring to? What have you learned so far? The, well, I mean, it's just the knowledge of, of just being in tune with what's 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 going on in the industry, what's going on, you know, and now, um, you know, just reading a lot of, you know, what's going on with MLB, what's going what what is MLB doing to try to um, better the space, you know, what um, players are doing, players inside this, you know, me, I was just really kind of focused on me. Um, really, and and just focus on how I can um, uh, how I can get better, and you know uh, that uh, work to you know some some extent, you know, but just knowing and just being a little bit more well rounded, I think could have could have helped. And you mentioned before uh, rule changes, and one thing I want to ask you about is stolen bases because you were one of the most prolific stolen ba- uh, base dealers of your era. Um, sixth uh, in stolen bases among players who debuted since 1998 when we expanded to 30 teams. Um, people like stolen bases. They're exciting. What role do you see for stolen bases in the game? And are there any like sort of like rule changes in your mind that maybe like you'd like to see to like incentivize stolen bases? Yeah, I mean, that's a, a stat that really does it get incentivized you know, does does the players get rewarded for stealing bases? Especially if you're you're if you really know what you're doing and you're really stealing at a successful rate, maybe 80% or above, right. Is there a reward for that? You know, I haven't seen it, you know, but um, um, you know, learning that knowing the basics of, of how to steal bases, because, and that's, you know, one thing, you know, when I went to um, that's one thing I've done, you know, when I was in the minor leagues, stealing bases. I stole over 200 bases in the minor league. And so when I got to the big leagues, you know, obviously that's part of my game, you know, that was, um, you know, what's going to keep me in the game. And so I remember when I went to a, a, a certain ball club and, and, and they told me I can't sell bases. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about, okay, okay. First off, do you know what kind of player you got? <laughs> 
do you know this is what I did my whole career? Like, I'm not going to just change now because you said you want me to stop. This is, you should have known what you got, right? This is what I do, you know? And so, you know, you're going to tell me, you know, it's not to steal bases. And this is, this is, you know, and I knew, I knew, you know, in my heart that, you know, if I don't steal bases, who, what value do I have? Right. <laughs> you know? And so, um, you know, trying to, you know, deal with management and, um, and really front office that w- w- made a, a decision, you know, you're not going to steal bases. Um, so what I did proceed was to go 10 for my first 10. So, I, <laughs> so I, I left them with no doubt. Hey, I, I, I can do this. Now they, they, they take the, you know, the ranks off the collar off and, you know, Hey, you can go, Hey, go ahead, go, go, go for it. You know? So um, th- these are, these are issues that, you know, players really deal with. These are real issues that they have to deal with. You know, if you are not going to be successful, what is, what is the, what, what, what good is it, you know, just getting thrown out? Um, I think that was, I think that's a major problem that has to be addressed. So do, do, do actually players know how to, do they know the basics of, of stealing bases? Do they know when they're going to be safe? Do they know uh, when it's a good time to take that risk? Yeah, I, I think about that a lot when people talk about should guys bunt. And I think people forget a lot of these guys just have never bunted. They, they don't know how to bunt anymore. Um, I did want to ask you one other thing about the job. So in the press release that came out, uh, it said that part of your responsibilities would be the mentorship of minority players as they progress through the amateur and minor league levels. Uh, what does that mean exactly? Are you going to be in direct contact with high school and college and, and minor league players? Yes. And, and, and talking with them and, um, and, you know, really helping um, them along, um, you know, just going through this game, you're going to, you're going to go through, everyone goes through issues. Everyone goes through, um, you know, the things that they got to deal with, perhaps even overcome. So, just knowing in advance what they're going to be dealt with and how to deal with them or how to overcome them. Um, I think I can bring some insight in, you know, just some experience of my own and even those around me of, of, of guys who, um, you know, uh, uh, face certain things, um, you know, as a minority um, and in, in, in this industry, you know, which you're, you're going to be faced with. Um, I think that's super important based on everything we've learned, you know, over the last couple of years. I, I did want to ask you some questions about your playing career while, while we have you here. What do you think people know you more for? Is it hitting one of the most famous home runs in World Series history, Game 7, you know, off for all this Chapman, or taking the Uber ride to New York and then hitting that pinch hit home run, which got like <laughs> huge national play? Which which one do the people say, oh, that's where I know that guy from? Well, if, we, if you're the Mets, you, you, you're probably going to say the, the 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 Uber ride, you know, with the with the home run. But if you're in Cleveland, boy, woo, boy, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Hey, I don't, and, you know, you know, I don't, I don't get enough of, of hearing it, and I hear it a lot, and I'm I'm thankful um, that people remember it, and they remind me on social media that I get reminded um, regularly. So I am thankful for that home run that, you know, that. Uh, that I was able, able to hit in the World Series in, in Game Seven, um, but I think overall it it would have to be the 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 Game Seven home run um, off off Chapman. I was uh, I was fortunate enough to be in the park that night for that. Oh come on for that World Series come in, the, on. in Cleveland. So they had the uh, they have like that kids zone, you know, down the right field yes. line, and 
for the World Series, they converted it into like an overflow press box, right? Oh, so wow. if you weren't if you weren't cool enough to get to the main press box, like me, <laughs> you were you were sitting in a folding chair down in that. Um, and so I kind of like walked outside just to watch the last inning or two. And then you connect for that home run. And I'm not sure I have ever heard a ballpark as loud as that. I was going to ask you about that, man. Could, 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 hey, can I have some insight about like, because I mean, I hear a lot about how, how loud it was. Down the pitch. Swung it on line to deep left field. It is gone. You should see the celebration. Out of the Indians, third base dugout, Rajay Davis, a bullet, two-run homer, down the left field line, clearing the 19-foot wall. We are tied at six. I mean, honestly, I have my helmet on, you know. Yeah. You know, they, they they say, you know, I, I more, more felt, like, the vibrations as far as, like, hearing it. I, like, I was, like, blind, like, you know, I was like uh, in like in another world, you know, when that happened. So it's like, OK, for me to distinguish the the measure of how loud it was in the stand, it was is really difficult from my perspective and what I was doing at that time, because I really wasn't I was I always felt like I was in another place, you know, uh, mentally, uh, physically. Um, but for, for you, though, you know, being able to uh experience it from you know that uh that vantage point it, it's it's definitely interesting to me it was fun and i was actually surprised they didn't call you out because there is no way you touched all four of those bases you were <laughs> floating clearly <laughs> my favorite part about that was the reaction shot from lebron james and this yeah. point you could say that you were like the person that made like lebron freak out as a fan like he looked like a kid going nuts um yeah. Uh, I'm going to one up, Mike. I was at the game where you took the Uber from Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. to City Field. <laughs> you can't one up game seven of a World Series. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm, jo- I'm joking. Um, but for those who don't know, we'll tell the story quickly. Um, you were playing a AAA game with the Mets affiliate in Lehigh, Lehigh Valley, Valley. And they called you up and you had to get to the game. And it was what, like four o'clock? And what happened? Well, they told me at about five o'clock. Okay. The game starts at seven. Now they told me at five o'clock. I was in the the batting cage when they told me right and so now i have i i have to get dressed pack all my stuff up take it take take that out right take a shower and do that go back to the hotel right pack up all my stuff over there and then get an uber because i didn't have a <laughs> i didn't have a ride waiting for me <laughs> to go to get to the stadium so I did all that, called the Uber. I think his name is Jason. Jason. Jason made big news that night. Yeah. But uh, I called the Uber and, you know, and I end up, um, you know, taking a two and a half hour ride and, 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 and pulling up. You could see the scoreboard on out from the outside. And I could see, man, it's, it's a third inning. <laughs> you know, it's already third. It's already third inning. I'm like, man. I think I'm a little late, <laughs> you know, you could hear inside what's going on. Um, and so I get dressed and, and, and do all that. And, and I forget to even go out to, you know, tell the manager I'm, I'm even there. It's like the fifth inning by the time I, I realized, Oh man, I got, I got to tell the manager I'm here. Right. And so I go out there, it's like the fifth inning and, and, I, and I tell him, Hey, I'm here. And I go back and, you know, get, get, get warmed up, go in the cage and, um, you know, get some swings and, 
I would argue, so you hit that home run off of Sean Doolittle, right? And Sean Doolittle is a very good pitcher. I would argue that was not even the coolest home run you ever hit off of Sean Doolittle because years earlier when you were with Detroit and he was with Oakland, you hit a walk-off grand slam. There's only been 27 of those in history. And as I'm saying that, I'm thinking about this. You know, you were known mostly as a, as a speedy guy, a good outfielder, you know, a good hitter, but n- not necessarily like a 35 home run power hitter. And here we are talking about all the cool home runs mm-hmm. you hit. Like you probably have a higher percentage of cool home runs to overall career home runs yeah. than like anybody in baseball. Yeah, you know, I I, I I guess I have to attribute that to just like my imagination. It's just, um, you know, when I would when I would see uh, and, and think about, you know, things that plays I want to do on the field, I can always just remember doing, you know, um, just visualizing those kind of plays, you know, where the crowd is going crazy. The crowd crowd is extremely loud, you know, just kind of those, those moments, um, you know, that, that, um, that I was able to, you know, just use that, that mind. um, That's very powerful. Before we let you go, I want to ask you a question. Do you know which pitcher, you faced the most often in your career. And I'm going to, I'm going to preface this by saying your line against him wasn't very good, but he's a great pitcher. So it's going to be okay. <laughs> um, I, I know I face uh, Hernandez pretty good, uh, a good amount. Freddie. Um, a left-hander. That's what it's going to be. So that would probably. Famous for the Yankees mostly later. In his ah, career. Yeah. you talk about Pettit? No, 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 CC Sabathia. Oh man, Ooh, I got some bad numbers against CC boy. Ooh. Sixty-two plate hey, appearances. CeCe, I have my number, I have to yeah, nine, you know, nine I hits. Hit the ball hard, like man, somebody there. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, nine hits and sixty-two plate appearances. Yeah. Uh, what made him so great? Like, I, I kind of think he's got a really good shot to be in the Hall of Fame someday. Yeah. And um, I think you had more firsthand knowledge of him than most people do. I, t- I tell you what happened when he was throwing ninety-seven for me. He was easier to, for me you know, um, to, 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 to really, I mean, cause I knew, you know, I have a better chance of hitting that the harder stuff than as he got older or, or, or he was, his velocity went, went down, he actually became a better pitcher. And so he was, you know, throwing pitches that looked tempting and he was actually playing and pitching to contact as opposed to trying to strike you out. And then, you know, next thing you know, he's got, He's got two strikes on you and like, okay, wait, wait, what is it, what's he going to do now? You know, you know, I know he's going to come hard up and in, you know, with that cutter or whatever it was he's going to throw. And, and like, you still swing at it. Cause like, it's like close because he, you know, he's like in the back of your mind, you're thinking, okay, this is DC. He's going to get that call, right. You know, he's going to get that call. I don't want to strike out. I want to put the ball in play. And so, you know, you end up swinging at balls that are close um, with two strikes. And, you know, those are just weak hits, you know, trying to, trying to fight off and oh man he was he was he was tough he was a tough pitcher on me a final thing before we let you go as i mentioned earlier uh you're not you're not the only former player who has come on to join the league right like joe martinez and rubo Banez and a couple other guys but the biggest name of the winter is ken griffey jr is going to play a role uh are you going to get to work with him have you already do you know him at all i i know him in 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 playing like when in my um in my career against him, just being introduced by former um you know teammates of mine, you know, and 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 being able to meet him through um former teammates. And you know, that was uh, really one of one of my highlights of of players, you know, that uh, were really up in my um, you know, players I really admired and looked up to. Um and you know, uh and so, you know, 
being able to work with him, I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, I'm sure he's working on um, in baseball operations and, and things and, and that, that with uh, that deal with, you know, just making the game better. Um, I know he's in the youth space, youth uh, space now. And, you know, that, you know, he's, uh, he's involved in that space and, and, and trying to develop players and, you know, he's, he just loves the game. Um, I, I will be excited um, if and when I do get to work with him. Um, I know he's a, he's a nice guy, nice nice person, nice personality. Um, he was one of those guys that would you know talk to us, especially you know a, a young guy coming up in the in the major leagues. You know, talking to a King Griffey Jr. is I mean that's 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 really something special, um, which he he would do. You know, and he was always um, he seemed fun to be around. Um, you know, with his just watching him interact with teammates and and with myself, so it's it's definitely I'm looking forward to it. You know, if and uh, or when that happens, uh, I would like that too. But I feel like you've got a better shot at it than I do. Roger Davis <laughs> is the new senior director of on-field operations, longtime major leaguer. Uh, Roger, thanks for joining us. Really excited to see what kind of work you can do. Thanks, thanks for having me, guys. Stick around as Matt and I come back to finish off the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you, based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. We're back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petriello and Matt Myers. And our thanks to Rajay Davis, who had some really fun stories to tell. And I can't wait to learn more about what he's going to do. We, I think, are coming to the end of this segment all winter. Matt and I have been picking a free agent you should be speaking more about who's just not getting enough attention. And as free agents are getting signed and as spring training is about to start, I feel like we're going to have to think of something new. But we're going to do it one more time. My free agent is not an under-the-radar guy. He's actually a pretty big star, and yet he's unsigned. I'm, of course, talking about Justin Turner. Uh, You know the Justin Turner story by now. From 2009 to 13, you know, through his age 28 season, a backup for a couple teams, mostly the Mets, and he had a 92 OPS plus. Then he went to the Dodgers and he changed his swing. And since 2014, he's had a 139 OPS plus, even though he was 35 years old last year. It's really good. Hit 307, 400 on base, a 460 slugging over the last two years, 10% walk rate and a 16% strikeout rate. That's really good. At this age for a player, what I'm really looking for is a sign of decline. So there is a fancy StatCast metric that I'm not going to go into great detail on. It's called expected weighted on base on contact. It basically means when you make contact, what is the quality of that contact? Here is his number over the last six years. 
all you need to focus on here is they're almost identical. There's no decline. 406, 403, 412, 404, 417, 407. Again, exact numbers meaningless, no decline. He's still unsigned. And you had to figure at a certain point, he would go back to his hometown Dodgers who still don't have a third baseman. I do like Edwin Rios. It's not going to be him. So if he doesn't go to the Dodgers, how about the Nationals who are 28th in third base projections at Fangraphs? How about the Brewers? I love the Brewers pitching. I really don't like their offense. How about Atlanta? How about even the Mets? That would be kind of fun. Seeing them go back to the Mets. How about somebody signs Justin Turner? Because I would like to see him hit again. I think everyone's assumed the Dodgers, but now like after after um, signing Bauer, they are so far past the luxury tax. And I know it's I know. like, well, at this point, like, well, what's, a, what's another like 10 million? But like at this point, it actually, you know, like the penalties do get steeper <laughs> the more you go over the luxury tax. Yeah. So they might be at that point where they're kind of like, maybe it's, they're going to hit pause. And, you know, they like Rios was pretty good last year. And maybe they figured they, maybe they could fake it with not fake it, but like just some mix and match with Rios. Maybe Gavin Lux can play third. Is that, is that a thing? No, is, no. G- Gavin Lux has, doesn't have the arm for third. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. Um, is there anyone else who could play third on that, on that roster? Chris, besides, Chris besides Taylor the- a little bit, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, let me throw this out there for you. Okay. Uh, Tony Gonsolin and a big chunk of David Price's contract to Oakland for Matt Chapman because that's what the Dodgers need is more talent. <laughs> um, it'll, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. I, apparently, the rumors the Mets were interested, which is surprising to me because like Sandy Alderson, their new president of baseball operations, what or new their new old president of baseball operations was the guy that that let that designated uh, or non tendered I forget what it was non tendered non tendered yeah. Justin Turner like. Nine years ago, yeah. so it'd be so, like a little bit of shady. Do you remember? Do you remember there was like all the the whispers through the press that they, he was like lazy and whatever. <laughs> so it was like it was like it would be, it would be a really swallowing some humble pie if they went and got him. Um, I think that JD Davis can hit, but he's a, not a very good fielder. So I could see why he'd be a fit for the Mets. But I think he's going to back in the Dodgers, um, no matter what. My free agent we should be speaking more about is just like a guy I've always kind of liked. I'm not even you know he's just like fine, but I think he's a useful player, and that's Jed Jorko. Um, in the shortened season of 2020, he actually raked, um, he had a sort of a comical line of nine home runs and 17 RBIs, which almost seems hard to do. Um, but in terms of barrels per batted ball, um, minimum 50 balls in play, um, he was tied with Ronald Acuna Jr. for 13th in the majors. He like, he really hit the ball with authority and he's been remarkably consistent over his career. Um, in 2020, his OPS plus where 100 is league average was 121. The year before, he had a bunch of injuries. He barely played, only 100 play appearances. It was 33. But then the years before that, so that's obviously bad. But the three years before that, 108, 112, 111. Just kind of like a, a, prof- a professional hitter with some power who can play first and third base. I think his second his second base uh, days are probably behind him. But on a team with a left-handed first baseman, um, left-handed hitting first baseman, and there are a lot of them, um, he could be a nice piece as a as a backup. And I think he could help a lot of teams. He also has a very fantastic name. It's just objectively fun to say. And I think that's, I think that's, Jed admittedly, Jorko. I think that's part of why I've always liked him. <laughs> like, I, I want him to sign with the Red Sox because I want to hear Jerry Remy saying Jed Jericho. <laughs> so I think that would be great. <laughs> um, the last thing before we go, this kind of came out as we were talking here. Uh, the game times have been announced for the full 162 game schedule. And fingers crossed, we actually get to play that. And I thought this was interesting. The the first game, excuse me, the first day, opening day of 2021, would be the first season since 1968 in which every team in the majors plays their first game 
on the same day. It's not the first time we've had uh, an opening day with all 30 teams playing because we've had teams play like, you know, two games in a day or two in advance or whatever. This would be the first time in decades that every team kicks off the season on the exact same day, which I think is kind of cool. I would start off with George Springer and his Blue Jays in New York against the Yankees at 105 p.m. Eastern. Um, And then, you know, I'm looking down the list here. Dodgers at four o'clock against Colorado for some reason. And then um, would you watch Francisco Lindor and the Mets pitching against presumably Max Scherzer and the Nationals at seven o'clock? Because I feel like I would. I, I think, think the Mets and great. Nationals, I think like the Mets and the Mets and Nationals opening against each other every year. <laughs> I think, and granted, DeGrom Scherzer is like a nice way to start a season. So uh, yeah, well, we had Cole I'm, Scherzer I'm, last year, didn't we? Yankees and uh, Nationals. Well, that's what it was, yeah. But I feel like the year, the year before, I just feel like there's been a lot of Mets Nationals in recent years, which, hey, they're division rivals. It makes sense. Yes, I'm, I'm excited for this. I'm going to very much look past the fact that it's all scheduled for April 1st because, you know, nothing has ever gone wrong on April's for <laughs> April 1st. Um, so here's to hoping in seven or so weeks that we actually have a regular season starting. And, um, you know, when we come back and talk next week, we'll be on the verge of camps opening. And I have to imagine we're going to have a few more signings between now and then. That will do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week.